This week on Silicon Reel. We persuade people to take trips that they weren't planning to take. Nine out of ten people that book with us weren't planning the trip before they saw the email. Right from day one, over half our traffic was on mobile devices. We are trying to build a loved brand, but we know that the way you do that is through analytical marketing. We're curating a customer as well as a list of hotels. We're very definitely the market leader here. Uh, it's a profitable business. We go very, very fast in markets. Once we get confident, we know what we're doing. Success uh, in business has always seemed to me to be the product of doing lots of well-executed incremental improvements. On Monday, Silicon Reel presents Tom Valentine, Secret Escapes. We call it hotel porn. In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's the same studio, but we have not just people uh, from tech. We've got uh, politicians, rock stars, authors, whistleblowers, filmmakers, and billionaires, uh, which is where I was last week. I was up in Scotland being trained by the $50 billion man. It's a very long story. It's a very interesting story. I just wrote a big uh, blog post about it, and you can check all of that out at londonreel.tv. TV. Um, the episode's coming this week. But today we're here to talk tech. My co-host is back in the building, Mr. Colin Pyle. Uh, you're running around. You're at Harrods selling coffee. It's all kicking off. How, are th- how have things been? It's good. It's good. good to be back. Excellent. It sounds like we're here with someone that knows a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to get on with our guest. is Mr. Tom Valentine, who is a managing director and co-founder at Secret Escapes, a company which curates exclusive members-only offers for four- and five-star hotels and holidays. I believe you've had uh, more than 14 million pounds of investment from uh, angels and investors uh, in venture capital such as Index and Octopus, both who we've had on recently. We had Ben Holmes from Index Ventures here a few weeks ago. Very impressive guy. We also had the uh, entrepreneur in residence for Octopus. That's uh, Debu Perkastawa, uh, former Google guy. Uh, a super impressive, very intelligent guy. So we know both of those companies. You're in good hands. Um, uh, Tom, before this, you were a strategy and business development manager at eBay. And before that, you were at Oxford, uh, but we won't hold it against you. Welcome to Silicon Reel. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Good. Well, it's it's great to have you. I read this quote that said uh, from you that said, quote, uh, even from day one, when we didn't have any customers, we did have a business plan. Uh, You went on to say that's what keeps us sane. You know, Britain has a history of some great travel sites like LastMinute.com has got to be one of the most famous British startups. And I was wondering uh, what what you meant when you said that and uh, and how long has this process taken you? So 
We've been, we've been working on Secret Escapes for just over four years now. So uh, myself and employee number two had our four-year anniversary on November 1st. So well, that was all very exciting. Wow, which is uh, baby years for startups, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, but what we meant by that was we launched Secret Escapes kind of right in the middle of the Groupon Living Social time. Right. And there are similarities, right? So Secret Escapes is not like lastminute.com. It's not like booking.com. We see ourselves as driving trips that wouldn't otherwise have happened. We use this term discretionary travel. Mm. And that's something that wasn't really possible to do online before email and mobile really interacted, right? So we saw what was going on. And when I talk about having a business model before we had a business, what we had is a very clear sense of what numbers you'd need to see in the business on day one to know that, you know, that it would eventually be the business we were looking to run, which is, you know, we're well on track to at the moment. But fundamentally, what that means is day one, you're like, okay, what are the open rates to the email we're seeing? What is the chance of somebody buying when they hit the site? And there were very small numbers. I think we sold two things on our first day. And slowly, we kind of built that data into the model. So we, we felt pretty confident. We knew where we had to be. And that's really important on day one of a new startup because there's a million things to do. And it's really helpful to have an objective way to prioritize. Like this number isn't near where we, we need it to be. Can you be specific when you say email and mobile have to combine for, in order for your business model to work? Because when you say that to me, it doesn't obviously click in my head right away. Oh, absolutely. So um, what we talk about doing at Secret Escapes a lot is permission marketing, right? So unlike a booking.com or something where you go to the site with, I want to go to Edinburgh on December 20th or something, Secret Escapes persuades you to take a trip. And I think one of the one of the really important constituents of our business is the fact that the majority of people open their secret escapes email that most people get every morning on their commute, right? So email and now push notifications can be a fun way to take a little break. Whereas before so many people were opening email on their mobiles, email had to compete with your work or your home life and you were digging something out. So being able to use, uh, you know, what, I, what we call often experiential commerce. So not just I need to buy this and get done quickly, but I want to really enjoy thinking about buying this. Uh, we think the time for Secret Escapes was these last couple of years when email and push first started being in people's kind of pockets on their commute. Okay. And what's the percentage between, say, push to, you know, an app uh, versus email? That... So right now it's very small. We only launched our apps about three months ago. Okay. So for users who have downloaded the app, it's pretty even, but we're kind of drip feeding the app at the moment. Okay. Now you mentioned Groupon. I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, this, there's similarities between them and you. Obviously they had a, a, a ridiculous, in retrospect, rise in acquisition strategy and they had a clones that were coming up that they acquired and then that kind of, that kind of quieted down. Um, is that something that you think about? Does that affect your business model? Do you, how, do you ever try to get away from the Groupon way of doing things? Well, we definitely think about it because, you know, people like you talk about it, investors ask the question and the skeleton of the business, so sign up and then receive communications about great deals is similar. Da daily. Yeah, daily. That's similar, right? Yeah, okay, right. right. Um, but we think we're, we're very different. And again, it comes back to that business model, right? So people don't tend to unsubscribe as much to communications from Secret Escapes. 
as it appears from the metrics we hear about Groupon, right? And why is that? We think it's because the secret escapes customer. We're curating a customer as well as a list of hotels, right? Like there's no there's no wool being pulled over anybody's eyes. It's very very clearly a website that will send you luxury travel deals every day. And there's a group of people, quite a large group of people, it seems, who enjoy that, right? So we do what we say we're going to do, but there's a group of people out there that would identify as being interested in luxury travel deals. Like, you know, I think Groupon's an amazing business, but I think the problem they had is, what is a Groupon customer, mm. right? They sell all sorts of things, so you don't quite know what to expect, and then I think possibly you don't let them keep the permission to con communicate with you. Do you guys have a minimum amount to sell before the deal is on? Because that's one of Groupon's big things too, right? Oh, uh, uh, right. No, no, we don't yeah. do that so at all. So if one person buys it, yeah. 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 So. Talk to me about, um, you said that you don't compete with, say, the bookings.com. We actually, funny enough, just had a guy from Hotel Tonight here you know, a week or two mm. ago, and you know, they, they do some curation as well. And he was saying there can be some tension sometimes between hotels and bookings.com and who's in charge and, and that kind of thing. But you're choosing not to be involved in that business model. You're choosing to kind of do a separate idea yeah, is that right and, and the guy from hotel tonight's right um there is a huge tension between a hotel and what we call the otas the big guys so booking.com and expedia okay i didn't and, i didn't know this yeah yeah, yeah no, um no. and actually hotel tonight and us we get quite a lot of play from this because it's very rare that a booking.com and expedia will turn up at a conference and speak because there's a real forced loyalty there there's a lot of anger and what that comes from you know fundamentally is forced loyalty. It's needing to work with Booking.com, but maybe not feeling it's necessarily, it, that it doesn't feel fair to you. Like if somebody types in your hotel's name, they, you know, Booking.com comes up the top and that, that aggravates hotels, right? right? Uh, Secret Escapes, we think we sit right at the other end of the spectrum, right? So there's that retail travel, you know exactly where and when you want to go. And we persuade people to take trips that they weren't planning to take. And so when we talk to a hotel, because we think of ourselves very much a marketplace, we've got the B2C and the B2B side of the business. When we talk to a hotel, our killer stat is that nine out of 10 people that book with us weren't planning the trip before they saw the email, right? And so unlike booking.com or any of the other OTAs where a hotel's thinking like, man, would that deal have come to me directly if they hadn't existed? We can make a really strong case and then they see it in the numbers that those bookings are incremental, they're right on the top. Right, so occupancy of hotels in the world right now is about 70%, and that's with Booking.com and Expedia all helping out. Right? We see our market as the other 30%, those rooms that go unsold, because the hotel rooms are really perishable good. Like if they don't sell it tonight, they can't make any money from it. And also in a luxury hotel, they've probably paid to clean the room every day. Right. So it's, it's really important to help hotels clear that extra stock. Were you always a marketplace when you started this four years ago? Were you thinking marketplace? Because now, obviously, it's a very trendy thing to talk about. You know, you've got the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the world, and everyone's talking about efficiency. But four years ago, people weren't really talking yeah. about that as much. Well, I'm a marketplace nerd, right? Like, I started my career at eBay. eBay I was at SeaWave right. afterwards. Uh, it's certainly the way we always thought about it. And so you're quite right. Like, marketplace is a very fashionable fundraising term. And I think we have that network advantage. Like, we grow more useful to both of our sets of customers as we grow. But when we were thinking about it in the beginning, it was more of a how do you break the chicken and egg thing, 
right? So we talked to hotels early on in the business and we heard that they would be happy if we sold, you know, 25 room nights for them in a deal. And so what that meant is we had to work out how many users we had, what the chance of them selling were, and have enough deals so that we could delight all of the hotels because, you know, could, I'm not sure we could have, but imagine we'd gone live with 100 hotels. They'd have sold, like, you know, one thing in the week and we'd have looked bad in the market and we wouldn't have been able to scale that side of the business. So in, in our early days, being a marketplace was all about managing the balance between supply and demand. Do you, do you have to, do you kind of take the rooms on consignment? I, I just don't even, on the back end of the business model, do you have inventory of rooms or is it clearly, you know, just if the customer wants it, they, they do it and you don't hold any risk? Yeah, so we don't, we don't carry that kind of stock risk okay. um, because those rooms aren't sold already, right? So right. the hotel isn't risking very much. What, you know, what practically happens is a hotel gives us maybe 10 rooms a night for the next six months. So that's maybe 20% of their allocation, the amount of rooms they have. Um, and they block it out on their other channels for just a week. And at the end of that week, we say what we've sold. Okay. So yeah, there's no stock risk there. Interesting. Talk to me about mobile. It's been, a, a, you know, obviously a contentious issue. Mashi Monster springs to mind. We had Davinia Nolas in here about nine months ago, and she was the first to admit that they, they missed mobile strategy. You know, they had uh, um, uh, uh, Michael on stage at the Disrupt Conference, and and uh, they laid into him pretty hard about why didn't mobile work, and you had this, and you know, he was just trying to explain, you know, that uh, that it's still tough to track crack, and just because you have a good game on, you know, on a, on a machine top doesn't mean you could transfer to mobile. Is that something you were always thinking? about is it tough to crack in that app store full of millions where you're coming from a web presence i know you guys do a lot of television ads as mm. well but how, how has that whole experience been and has it been tough and have you been late so i don't think so uh we we haven't we didn't have apps till as i say about you know three months ago or so but we were a mobile business right from the start right and i think the distinction is a bit broader in e-commerce Right? So right from day one, over half our traffic was on mobile devices. Like a very significant portion of our sales right now are on mobile devices. Um, and obviously some are on desktop. But it wasn't as clear for us that the future was app. Mm. Like, you know, we only launched four years ago. It was evident that we had to have a mobile presence. But I think, you know, if you compare us to MindCandy, I think mobile means app. We're not 100% sure that that's true. Mm. Like you can experience... Uh, many of the great things about Secret Escapes just via the mobile site. And the ecosystem isn't quite there yet. Like, linking from an email into an app can be a slightly weird experience sometime. So I think, I think it'll go that way. And the early metrics we see from the app definitely look good. But no, I, 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 kinda, I think we've been... We've been appropriately cautious with the app strategy. And, but you, and your people click from the email into the mobile experience, click yes. the email onto the site. So and you, critically, uh, from the email on their phone into the mobile site on their phone. Right. Right. You know, email's funny. I remember uh, like a year ago, someone's like, you got to build the London real email list. And I was like, come on, email's over. Email's dead. All the kids are on Twitter. And uh, it's just fascinating to see that it's still a large part of many business models online, mm. including yours. I mean, when you must have been hearing this for the last couple of years. And did you ever think that the, the email wasn't the way forward? Or Yeah. And kind of we, 
we're not religious about it. We don't think we have to be an email business because there are other ways to do permission marketing. Like we're quite excited about how we can communicate with our fans on Facebook, for instance. We're very excited about push notification. But you know, email is just a huge part of people's lives. Um, you know, for better or worse, sometimes. Um, but you know, you do get pleasant experience from email, right? Um, and I. I personally think that the kind of rumors of email's death are somewhat exaggerated. Kind of, you know, I, I don't know what you think, but I've been playing around with Google uh, Inbox. Uh, the new, this is the new one, right? Yeah. yeah. I haven't played with it yet. I haven't played with it yet. Yeah, I've heard about it. Anyway. And it's kind, it's kind of quite interesting. Like, it's... It's a way of prioritizing and grouping things. Yeah, and prioritizing and grouping things, and it treats your email like an in-tray. Uh, a friend of mine on Facebook described it to me, and I think it's kind of right. But on the other hand... By, like, important things on top of yeah, your entry. But, but that, to an extent, was terrifying to me, like, as, as a businessman rather than a man that uses email marketing. Because I'm like, what, what, I run my life by how email comes in at the top of the inbox. If that suddenly starts changing, that's kind of... That's not what I expect email to do. Kind of, and I, I certainly think maybe one day uh, the tasks we do with email will be done with something else. But I think it's one of those things where it's unlikely to be email evolves into a different thing. I think a, a different channel might kind of replace it over time. See, it's funny because it's almost like trust because I don't trust them to do it properly. So if they're prioritizing my emails for me automatically, it's like, well, I see how bad you do some other things. And it's just, they're not there yet in terms of being Google? able to... Google? Like, yeah, Google, just like anyway. the way they do their current inbox. Yeah, but mm -hmm. it's just, you know, they, they make things that are important. And I'm like, why would you do that? Do it's a strange thing because it's almost like an anachronism. You know, it really right. is a, a very old way. If we had to start now and start it over and do it, it would probably be done in a very different way. Mm -hmm. But what kind of, we, we have it. We own it. It has legacy. You know, I got my first email address in 1989 when right. I went to MIT and it was like .edu and I was like, I'm never going to use this. You know, right. but now it's part of our everyday life. It's, yeah. Can you, you know, imagine without but, it? You know, with, but with you, if, if you can provide something that people kind of look forward to and you're kind of selling people these dreams and new ideas they hadn't thought of doing, I guess it's something people look forward to opening every day. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we definitely see that the majority of the early opens are right in that commute dash getting into work but getting into the zone that's interesting because I, I remember I, as a cons, you know as a customer of, of secret escapes i remember getting those emails and being like oh you know what i mean and you're just like oh that'd be nice oh that'd be really nice too do you know what i mean do you, do you see high open rates like but but not necessarily converting into sales so yeah, yeah, I think we right, do. Like, I right. think the open rates are, are very high for the industry, especially given the fact we email seven times a week. Right. Right. But so I go back to again, we we sell discretionary travel, right? And you know, how many opportunities do people have to take a trip they weren't planning in a year? Most people, maybe that's a couple, right? And so the the bargain we're striking with our our members is. Kind of, we give you a little bit of value every day, a little bit of joy looking at, we call it hotel porn, uh, yeah. looking at those <laughs> yeah. infinity pools. Um, and, you know, stay with us, enjoy that experience, stay engaged. And, you know, at some point in your life, you know, you're going to be ready. And that week, and you really see this, people open every email that week and they look at like 50 different sales and they favorite 10 of them. And so they're, they're ready for a trip. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we need both sides of that business.
What was the crucial turning point where you said, okay, we have a business here? I mean, was there at one point like a year in, 18 months where it probably wasn't around a finance base, but a certain critical mass of customers or something where you said, you know, this is something that, you know, we're going to own and this is really going to blow up? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, and it sounds small, but I remember very, very clearly our, our first kind of hundred sale day. Right. Yeah. And, you know, hotel rooms aren't cheap. That's, you know, that's a reasonable amount of turnover going through the site. Yeah. And then you're like, this is a real, real thing. And then um, the, the other one that happened. When was that roughly? So, you know, I think that was maybe it was quite a way into the business. It was maybe like like somewhere between three and six months. Okay. Right. right? So we've been we've been working at it for a while because it's you know it's often the way at startups where you're you're putting incredible effort into a business that in its early months you know, is, is not driving that much trade at the top line. And, you know, you know what you're doing is building the method and building the skeleton and waiting to get ready. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, when you actually sell, like, a proper amount of things in a day, uh, that's very, very exciting. Yeah, it's a big day. What's next? I know you're in Europe, um, and, yeah. I, and I'm curious where else you want to be in Europe and if America's on the radar or not. A lot of people in that seat, including Damien Kimmelman, was like, Fuck America. We don't need them. And we don't need to deal with their laws and their, all their tough things with the states. Uh, where do you come out on that spectrum? So um, we've got kind of like maybe three phases of Secret Escape. So we've got our UK business. It's big. We're, we're very definitely the market leader here. Uh, it's a profitable business. Um, we've got our European businesses, which launched kind of either last year or early this year, um, which are just, you know, right on that track. We're kind of very much the same story. And America is fascinating to us for two reasons, right? Like, it's, it's obviously a huge market, uh, but also it's a huge travel destination. So right now, uh, we, we are in America. Kind of, we've had, a, a, I'd have to check, but, you know, kind of hundreds of thousands of signups in the States. And, uh, you know, we've got 13 people out there getting those deals. Okay. Um, but, you know, we're a bunch of nerds, right? Like, we don't feel we have to do America. But from everything we see, it looks like a really exciting market. So, you know, we're going to do what we always do and, you know, build the business model before we build the business. And we've done that. And just keep going through those gates. Like, is this a thing for us? Like, I think practically speaking, America's such a big market. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll always have a presence there. Uh, you know, watch this space. Maybe I could come back next year and tell you how the launch went. You know, we were talking about Peter Thiel earlier in this class at Stanford called, you know, how to start a startup. And you just said we're a bunch of nerds. And, and I think about company culture. I mean, is that your culture? Is it like, it, what is your culture like? And are you kind of conservative that way? Like, let's get the business model and let's do this. Mm. Let's not raise 50 million pounds and hire 150 people in America. Let's do it this way. Yeah. What is your culture? So I think our culture is one of executing really, really aggressively. And I think those nerdy numbers are what helps us do it. Right, like so, uh, you know, I think we go very, very fast in markets once we get confident we know what we're doing, right? Because, uh, you know, I was a psychologist at university and I used this term of cognitive dissonance, right? Like, we are trying to build a loved brand, but we know that the way you do that is through analytical marketing. That's, that's, that's what drives people to join Secret Escapes, right? Like, there's 7 million members in the UK right now. And you know, we're very open. We do marketing to tell people about this great new thing that can send them on holiday. Um, and that needs to be analytical because you know, that's, that's the petrol that goes into the engine. And we want to make sure we're doing the right thing there. Um, so yeah, I think we're definitely analytical. Uh, one of our culture questions in interviews is, what's your favorite Excel function? 
Um, so, you know, we definitely, we love that side of the business. Okay. Uh, but equally, we're a very commercial business. Like about half the people that work for Secret Escapes are kind of ineffectively sales, business development. Did that question come up on your first date? <laughs> um, and what if it did? Uh, my wife's a lawyer, so oh, okay. um, you know I, I think uh, the, the the technology they have is just astonishing. <laughs> uh, but maybe it's not so much Excel. And so, what is your favorite Excel function? Well, yeah. see, my favorite Excel function is a VLOOKUP. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I'm being outpaced by people in the office. There's, <laughs> there's all sorts of you know crazy stuff going on now. Macros and blah, yeah, blah. goes crazy. <laughs> Talk to me about television because it's not something that everyone's experimented. We had Busu in here. They had done a television experiment because yeah. they had won a ProSieben contest. And yeah, they had right. interesting feedback. One time they did a completely uh, independent TV commercial. And they were already waiting uh, for their analytics. And they got nothing. And the second time they did an online and offline kind of c combined campaign. And they mm. had success. You guys have some pretty famous TV ads. They're really good TV ads, oh, by you. the way. Uh, very British. Mm. Very British. Really well done and very subtle. And I don't know. It was, it was really good. Is that something that was uh, difficult to do? Was it a tough decision to make? It must have cost a lot of money. And how did you come upon that and how did it work out? So actually it comes back to this kind of analytical aggression. So the reason we went on TV was we were only in the UK at that time. And we were pretty confident we couldn't work out how to push more spend, so more growth, through our digital channels of Google and Facebook. And we looked around at the market and it really looked as if TV could be interesting. Right? There's all sorts of scare stories about TV, but there's also lots of brands, especially in the UK, that have grown via TV. So what we said is, like, what would you need to believe to think doing TV was a good idea? And you, know, you can spend a lot of money on TV, and it can evidently drive a lot of response. And the terrifying thing about it is you, when you test Google for the first time, you can test it with 10 pounds. Right? You need to spend a lot more money than that to get your first result. But again, we knew what number we were going to track with the TV because, you know, Secret Escapes, you go and sign on and give your email address in the first session. Right. So we had a view that we could say, okay, what happened in the two minutes after a TV spot or something like that? Um, and what numbers we'd expect to see. And we thought, yeah, okay, this sounds just about feasible. Um, now, coming back to the brand side, the the difference between a good TV ad and a bad TV ad can often only be told in retrospect, right? Mm -hmm. So we knew we were taking a risk there, but you know, we take a lot of risks with early tests. And as the business grows, you know, if you don't take some of those big risks, you can find yourself kind of losing momentum. Because um, to, to an entrepreneur out there who's thinking, thinking about TV, mm -hmm. what, how much is that? How much do you need to spend to, re to really get a test? So we were told, and I think it's probably about right, that unless you spend a couple of hundred thousand pounds on just the media, so buying the space on TV, you won't really understand how your TV advert is going to work at scale. And then, so I think that's probably about right. Then there's a question of how much you have to spend on making the advert, like yeah. creating the, the, the thing that goes on TV. For us as a luxury brand, we had a view that you know, you didn't want to be uh, that, that new site with the nasty ad. Yeah. Right? So, you know, we, we didn't spend quite as much on, on the ad as on the media for the test phase, but, you know, it wasn't far off. 
Yeah. yeah, it looks like a well-produced ad. Yeah. You had a, a semi-famous woman doing it, right? I don't know her, but yeah. Yeah, she's she on known. Holby City now. Okay, so she's you know famous for Britain. And there was definitely money in that ad. It was mm. done well. So, so we're talking like half a million pounds. Oh, God, no. no okay. No, no. But hundreds of thousands. Yeah, hundreds of thousands. Okay. okay. That's interesting. Okay. And so right away it made sense for you and you kept going with those ads. Yeah, because you know, we knew what numbers we were looking at. Okay. And you know we've got a general rule in the office that kind of when something goes live and you've done your best to get it live that first time, kind of it's probably going to get twice as good as you slowly optimize it, but equally it's not going to get 10 times as good, right? And so it was right in that window when we first launched and we've got better at it over the years. Excellent. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, one of our uh, sponsors on London Real is Squarespace, and you know they do website creation, and they're kind of even going after GoDaddy and the hosting. And I speak with one of their marketer guys. They did their first Super Bowl ad last year, and oh, I was wow. like, "What Super Bowl ad?" And he said the same thing. He's like, "We got to as far as we could scale online with the typical alternatives." And he's like, "If you want to go after the big audience, that's where it is. It's on TV. You just mm-hmm. have to do it intelligently." How many more years do you think that that that's going to be true? Well, I had Max Kaiser on here, you know, from Russia yeah. Today, who screams on his show all day, and he's like, 20, it's going to be around for 20 years. He's 20 like, years like, it or, like it or not, right. it still has a huge, huge audience. I don't know if I agree with him. I'm curious what Tom thinks. Yeah, <laughs> so I reckon for at least that long, it will be very, very likely that a business like ours will want to have a pretty even split between TV and digital. And I, I think also digital holds itself back, right? Yeah. Like the, even Google says there are a group of people that just will never click an ad. Right. Like right. I think that number is, uh, is lower than people think it is. But, you know, if you want to launch a consumer brand, so we want to be known in the countries we're in. We want to be talked about at the dinner table as a thing you can do to take a really exciting break. And I think you just you don't necessarily want to limit yourself. And also, if you look at digital, kind of, we all know the first pound you spend is the most efficient, and then you slowly kind of go up that curve. Like, you don't need to believe much to think there's an amount you can spend on TV that's more efficient than the later spend on digital. And you think it'll be around for 20 years? Yeah, absolutely. In so the, the numbers I've seen, which I grant you have been shown to me by my media agency, right. like TV viewing, TV commercial viewing is, is up in terms of minutes in the last couple of years. Fascinating. Really? Isn't it? That's right. Have you tried like YouTube videos? Uh, yeah, we, we have a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the media is super expensive, yeah. right? Because actually, not as best I understand it, the, not that, that many people uh, watch those ads. Right. And there's always some, you know, we think of ourselves very much as doing brand response advertising. We're doing an advert to ask people to sign up. Um, and occasionally you get blown out of the water by the kind of big John Lewis style ads, which are very much just about telling a story out there. Right. And they tend to kind of, you know, think of what you see on YouTube. It tends to be either big brand stories or funny stories. Right. And that didn't seem quite the fit for us. But, you know, we're not against it. We'll keep trying it. Hmm. It's interesting. What's uh, what's your next hurdle for the next twelve months or eighteen months? It, it sounds like it's it sounds like it's organic growth. But I mean, is it about another fundraise and then to dive into this country, that country? Is Asia on your horizon, or what keeps you up at night? So, what keeps me up at night right now? So, like all the coffee, you drink. <laughs> all the coffee, I guess. Um, but so uh, this is a good time to talk about it because you know the this end of the year period is quite a quiet period in travel sets where we do our our big thinking Um, and so next year next year is going to be about understanding America more Uh, Asia is super exciting for us um, both as a place where we could get more hotels but also where we could build a consumer business so we're going to be we're going to be looking at that Um, but actually the a lot of our focus is on 
how you take the processes within the business from processes that worked when there were like you know 30 of us all in the same room there's now over 200 people that work at secret escapes Um, and you know how do you keep the business one of a business of execution that does what it says it's going to do and hits its commitments um, while also dealing with the fact that people don't sit in the same room and you know don't necessarily know everything everyone knows so you know effectively how do you how do you become a big organization and keep as much of what made us an excellent small organization? And how do you do that? I, I, I will tell you okay. when I work it out. <laughs> but I think fundamentally you, you get the teams to feel primarily like they're members of their team. So keep those 30, 30 person teams running. And just as the general managers at the top of the business, kind of make sure that those sub teams are kind of working towards the right goals. It's big questions. We had John Collison from Stripe as one of our early guests, and they run a very successful company out in San Francisco for payments. And they have this weird system where everyone gets every email in, yeah. the, in the thing. And they have almost this whole logistical systems of how to separate, because they all get the ingoings and outgoings mm. and everything. Isn't it also the every meeting they have? The oh, they notes? get notes for that, too? Yeah, I think every, so, too. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it works for them, but it also sounds like a little crazy mm. as well. And- you know, our business is, you know, there's an equation underneath it. Like how many people visit the site, what deals do they see, and then what's their chance of buying those deals, right? So that's very, it's a kind of somewhat linear flow, right? So as much as possible, we like to have teams know which metric they are responsible for and kind of work on that and communicate with the other teams. Uh, and so, you know, we have this document at Secret Escape called The Plan. It's kind of in caps. And like there are, there are names next to the graphs. They used to be names of people. Now they're names of teams. But fundamentally, it's that kind of equation of how we run our business hasn't changed. And it's just a question of, you know, we've now lucky enough to have a bit more resource to throw at improving that business. What's been your personal uh, biggest struggle as a change from the two-person guy that I quoted four years ago to where you are now? Mm. What's been the trickiest change for you to make? Well, so... I, when I joined the business, I think I was, uh, you know, a pretty competent uh, executor, right? But these days, uh, you know, I know I'm making a mistake if I'm actually the one doing a project, right? right? So I, I'm doing my best and, uh, you know, asking for a lot of advice, but trying to work out how to be as good a general manager as, as an executor. It's hard, isn't it? It's very hard. And like people explain it to you in all sorts of ways. But the one that I've heard the best is kind of if, if you have a really good day and manage to kind of leverage yourself so your whole team is doing 5 or 10% better, um, that's just so much more than you can achieve just by working twice as hard that one day. But, um, you know, the feedback loop is a lot longer. Right. Right. And for people who start things, you know, with just a few people, it's almost counterintuitive. Who in, in the how to start a startup, I think I forget who was talking about it, but he was saying that as a general manager, think of it as like an editor, an editor writer relationship. Mm. Right. And if the editor is doing all the writing, then it. It's just not, yeah. it's not working. No, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just curious if I can ask you a couple questions. I usually ask everyone on the show. Um, if you could uh, uh, think back and, uh, and think of the 20-year-old Tom Valentine and give that young man a bit of advice. I think you were at eBay in San Francisco when you were 23. Um, but if you could give him a phone call and uh, give him a bit of advice, what would you tell him? So, I, I, you know, I, 
I guess that answer probably changes every couple of months. But I think right now, I'd tell him, if you eat 1,800 calories a day, you definitely lose weight. <laughs> um, kind of the whole quantification of health stuff I'm finding fascinating at the moment. Okay. And uh, yeah, I spent far too much time eating millions of chicken breasts. Just eat less food. Eat less food, yeah. What's, what's your best gadget for, for those out there? So um, I've quite enjoyed my fitness pal of late. Okay. Um, you know, it's a very, very simple app. It's just a tracker. What's the um, best um, advice you've received over the years, business or personal uh, business, if you can think of it? Because you've worked with a lot of different companies. Mm. So I've heard this phrased a lot of ways, but I think Ben Horowitz put it best most recently, which is... Was he quoting a gangster rapper? You know, I think in this instance, not, but okay. who knows, okay. um, which is don't rely on silver bullets, just tons of lead bullets, right? So success uh, in business has always seemed to me to be the product of doing lots of well-executed ex incremental improvements. You know, every now and then, the business gets 30% better because of a change we do, but you can't bank on those. Whereas you can say, like, if we stay a smart and kind of focused team, we can definitely punch out 10 tests this week and make the business just that little bit better. Good advice. Last bit of that question um, to the 20-year-old that's listening to us around the world who wants to you know, start a successful company such as Secret Escapes. What, what advice do you give them? Is there some path that they should follow? I know you were pretty young working with some, with, with some startups on the internet. What should they do? So I, I was actually having a conversation uh, with a lady who's just about to leave uh, Oxford with a computer science degree. Right, so she, she's super, super valuable. And I was uh, talking to her this morning. Um, and the advice I gave her um, is to kind of understand what route you want to take into tech, right? Because, you know, especially in a situation like that, people tend to look at their skills right now and what job they could get. But actually, you know, sometimes what you want to do is understand which job might be a little bit harder to get, but gets you to that job that you really want to have in five years, right? So I'd say chart your course a little bit, work out what job you want to have. And it might be that you take a job in the early years to acquire a skill, hmm. right? Rather than necessarily to advance your career. Because when you start it, uh, what I've found to be really powerful is the number of jobs you can do and you don't have to hire somebody to do. You know, so obviously, you know, coding is one of them, but on the other hand, you know, can, you, uh, can you do the marketing? Can you do the finance? Um, and just kind of building that little portfolio of skills can sometimes be very useful. And do you think that's super useful for someone with a computer science degree to learn something else? Well, you know, it, it, in certain people's case, yeah. Right, like kind of, you know, if what you want to be is the general manager of a tech business and you already have the kind of pure engineering skills, kind of understanding early whether the things you're going to do as a general manager make you happy and make you sleep well at night is really, really important. What, uh, what companies in London excite you? The scene here has changed so much in two, three, four mm. years. Do you, I'm sure you agree. What's, uh, what are things that are, are you're, you're kind of looking forward to seeing? So I, I've got to say, like, what's really uh, been fascinating this year is seeing some big winners emerge and maybe outside of the kind of hyped spaces, right? Like, so, you know, you look at Zoopla, you look at Just Eat. These are businesses that made it uh, easier for people to do the tasks that were really important to them in life. Um, and have grown really exciting brands. So it's been great to see them kind of emerge and, you know, in, in both cases, IPO.
Right, and not not just be a fintech or a something that everyone's been talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah functional businesses. Um, how do people uh, get to Secret Escape? What's the best way? I guess when you show up on the website, you put your email in. Yeah, it's simple, yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, so yeah, just go to www.secretescapes.com and you can sign up right there. And are you hiring? Uh, it's always the test whether people give out their information for hiring. Yeah, yeah, so. we're 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 always hiring. Um, actually, we we have always been hiring. I suspect we always will be. Uh, so there's a jobs link right on there, or uh, Tom at SecretEscapes.com. They can just send a CV right over. And where are you based in the U.S.? Uh, so we've got a couple of offices actually. Um, we are uh, we're in New York, uh, we're in Oakland, and uh, we're in Miami. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Sounds You're good. the one that first told me about this company, right? Yeah, I was looking. I've, I've been a, I've been one of those guys. You know, I've been the, the hotel porn or, or travel porn is, is. I haven't, I haven't purchased yet, but I've been. Uh, you know, that's the thing. Doing a startup myself, I don't, I don't. You know, the the, the discretionary travel isn't <laughs> isn't available at the moment. Well, one yeah. day I hope. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Right, that's fantastic. Um, Tom, thanks so much for telling your story. Um, it's just, I think it's really exciting to see, I don't know, really British homegrown a success, showing people like how it's done. Yeah. You know, and I and I like the fact that it's simple, and uh, I like the fact that it's kind of making a success out of something when, you, you know, I, I'm sure Groupon's going to be back, but you've seen it kind of go a little bit too far in this one way, and now you guys are doing something very specific with a very, you know, sincere idea in mind. So, uh, I wish you all the best. As we say on Silicon Real, it's about the people. Um, if you want to check out any of our episodes at siliconreels.com, we just dropped Uber um, yeah, and uh, a bunch of more good, good episodes coming soon. Yeah, and, and reach out, you know, guest ideas, and, you know, we're always looking for interns and people to help us out. So if you want to get involved with the show, you know, tweet at us. And uh, we're syndicating some of our stuff on well, some, some startup magazine is helping us out. And, you know, so lots of people, we have some amazing content. So we're trying to get it out to as many people as possible. And if you're interested in, you know, sharing some of our videos and working with us in some way, we're open guys and, and interesting in, in getting it into as many hands as possible. So. Yeah, definitely. Shoot us an email at hello at siliconreal.com. And, uh, yeah, we got all sorts of great content and great heart-to-heart -heart stuff, too, from yeah. the guys that are making it happen. So, uh, Tom, all the best, and uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, take care. We're going to bet our whole career on mobile. This is the future. This is what we think is the right product. Nobody was saying that they had to have this, but we felt that it hit a lot of what the market needed. It was a sort of scary and soul-searching few months, but then we started getting traction and signing up more hotels and and just feeling uh, feeling that momentum and that growth. And we just said we're going to be we're going to be the best. We're going to be five out of five, and we're going to work really hard to get there. We wanted to be a culture of builders, so we wanted to always be shipping stuff, always be bringing new things to the world, but it wasn't throwaway stuff, it was meaningful, it was lasting. Hate to lose people uh, at Hotel Tonight, but what makes me really proud is when they leave and they go and start their own businesses.